my daughter and I were gone for three weeks. And on the second week that we were gone, Kevin said, um, as I was telling him the adventures that we were having and all of the amazing experiences that we were having, he said, oh my gosh, this sounds like so much fun. I totally want to do this with you one day. And I said, okay, let's do it now. And he said, okay. And so before we got off the phone, we made plans that he would rent a camper van for a month. And that uh, week after I returned home from my adventure with my daughter, he would drive up, we would get in the camper van, and we would go away for a month. This is First Date Stories, the podcast, the show where women in their late 30s, 40s, 50s, and beyond talk all about the first dates they've been on. From the wildly successful to the completely disastrous and everything in between, here's your host, Jody Klein, founder of FirstDateStories.com. Hi, this is our season four finale episode. My guest for the show is Janine, and she's in her 50s. Janine had been married for over 25 years when she decided that she needed to leave her marriage so that she could live the life that she felt she was meant to live. When Janine started dating again, she approached it as both an adventure and a process of self-discovery. Eight years in, Janine had what she describes as a remarkable career, a significant impact in the world, and a gift of several decades of self-development. But she hadn't met her person yet. Like so many of us, the pandemic raised questions for Janine, and it was around the time that COVID hit that she started to wonder if she should continue dating and whether she'd ever meet the right man for her. I'll let Janine pick up the story about her adventure with Kevin, but I have to say that this tale comes with a plot twist that is truly remarkable. Here's Janine's first date story. Hi, Janine. Thank you for joining me this episode to share your first date story. Jody, it's so great to be here. Thank you. I am really excited to delve into your story today. Before (laughs) we do that, though, I'd love it if you would share a bit about yourself so that listeners get a sense of who you are. Thank you, Jody. It's exciting to be here as well. I am in my mid-50s. I had the gift and the burden of a quarter-century marriage that I chose to leave after a certain point when I decided that the ways that I wanted to grow and be in this world took me away from who I was and the commitments that I made at the beginning when I was a young person and didn't know myself very well. We had the incredible gift of a very large community and a beautiful young daughter who is now in college and thriving And I had left my marriage to begin an 
a whirlwind adventure of dating. And that continued for eight years. And I had reached the point where I had had a remarkable career, significant impact in the world, and the gift of several decades of self-development. And I found myself wondering, will I ever find the person that can meet me where I am now and who can grow with me for the next 40 years as I become the things I can't even possibly imagine and dream of. Thank you for sharing that. Now, you said you spent eight years dating prior to the date we're going to discuss, I presume. Yes. How were you feeling about dating after those eight years had transpired? I love that question. And I felt so many different ways during different parts of that experience. I remember when I left my marriage, I spent several months coming to grips with the enormity of the change that I had wrought and then got very curious after a quarter century of being with one person, what it would be like to meet and date other people. And so being a very analytical person, I created a spreadsheet and embarked on 80 dates over the next year and a half and was very methodical about it and really felt like a cultural anthropologist at that time. I had had the gift of many of my personal needs being met in marriage. I felt like I had been partnered. So when I left my marriage, I felt like I was coming not from a place of scarcity, but from a place of curiosity and excitement. And so I went on all kinds of dates with people that I would never consider going out with more than maybe twice, maybe three times, just because I was trying to have the sense of what it's like to be so many different ways of being human. I got to try on for a night or for an hour or when things really didn't go well for 30 minutes, what it was like to be another human for just a little bit. And I could picture myself, what would my life be like if I were with this kind of person? And it was a wonderful process of self-discovery. And it allowed me to feel like I was experiencing the world in a whole new way. One of the roles of dating is to explore who we are and also to find people who can mirror the things that we are wanting to grow and to become. It's a way of cultivating our sense of self in relationship with someone else. It was probably the beginning of COVID when I reached a point of thinking, is dating making sense for me anymore? Does this really serve me? What are the ways that I abandon myself when I go out with someone more than a couple of times and recognize very early on that this is not a partnership that will last even a, a medium amount of time? Why devote my 
energies, my very precious life energies towards something that won't truly fulfill me. And so I had reached a point in the summer of COVID and the, all of the challenges of that time that I was thinking I would probably not be partnered for the rest of my life and recognized the joy and the richness of what my life was and decided to devote myself to simply making the best of the life that I did have but being available now and then for dates. So that's what preceded this. You experienced all different types of interactions with different types of men that enriched your life experience. You spoke about abandoning yourself or not abandoning myself is what you said by spending time with men who were not the right fit for you. Why did you look at it in that light? It was quite intentional. As we frequently find in this extended life journey of self-examination, the same ideas and issues and patterns keep arising time and time again. No matter how much work we do, no matter how skillful we become, no matter how many tools we have in our toolkit, it's still the same material that we work with, just in different circumstances and different manners. And so I probably first heard that phrase, what are the ways that you abandon yourself in relationship, maybe a decade two decades earlier, and it didn't land so solidly the first dozen or two dozen times that I was asked these questions. And then at a certain point, we really began to work very closely with the material that still arises. So I, um, like many people, had little affirmations on my mirror and they were the qualities that I wanted to embody in my moment-to-moment -moment existence. So joyful, fully alive and vibrant, kind, loving, wise. And at the bottom, the, the longest one was the phrase, never abandon myself. And so when we embark on journeys to really discover who we are, to become aware of what our true nature is. It's this shedding of things that don't serve that really fall by the wayside. So I was quite intentional about that. Clearly. I love that you had all those affirmations on your mirror. What a great way to start your day, looking at yeah. all of that and, and taking it all in and uh, trying to consume all of those positive aspirations in, uh, into every day that you live. That's tremendous. It is a practice that's available to all of us. And I feel grateful to be so much closer to a moment, a mom moment by moment appreciation of where I place my attention, where I devote my energies, the people I surround myself with, and the ways that I shape my thoughts so that my experiences become what it is that I seek. As you started to discuss 
the eight years that you spent in the dating world prior to this date we're about to get into, you mentioned that you had created a spreadsheet. I'm intrigued. (laughs) Uh, Was that spreadsheet just used to track the names and contact information of the men that you met? Or were there... No, that's not true. I know that was not true. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, then. Let's let's get into it. What else? What other parameters? That would be a bunch of stickies on a bathroom mirror. (laughs) A spreadsheet, you need a lot more columns than that. (laughs) Okay, let's talk let's talk the different parameters that you had added into that spreadsheet. Please share that with me and all the listeners. Have you ever felt driven to do something or create something and put it out there in the world? Well, that's how this podcast came to be. I'm not a dating coach. I'm not a professional trained relationship expert. I'm a woman who was in the dating scene much longer than most women are, and knowing what it's like to be dating in midlife, I've had this deep-seated desire to try to make it more connected, supportive, encouraging, and just more fun for women who are looking to meet their right person. And, and that's also the reason I wrote the book, First Date Stories, Women's Romantic and Ridiculous Midlife Adventures. I was struck by a recent review about the book by a reader named Kirsten, and it really captured so much of what I'd hoped the book would deliver, so I want to share it with you. She wrote that, and I'm quoting, These stories pulse with curiosity and courage, a great combo for dating at midlife. This is a particularly great read if you are reluctantly starting over or wondering how to put yourself out there. You get a taste of what it's like, and it's not so terrible after all. Thank you, Kirsten. I think you've summed it up so well. It's not so terrible after all. In fact, it can be really, really fantastic, and it absolutely should be. Now, I'm really super excited to share that book clubs have started to read my book, And a book club reader's guide is going to be available at firstdatestories.com forward slash book in January. So if you're part of a book club and you'd like to read the book, please check out the website at that time. And if you'd like me to participate in the discussion, either virtually or if possible in person, please contact me through the contact page at firstdatestories.com. Now, if you haven't gotten your copy of the book yet, You can buy it through your local bookstore, Amazon, bookshop.org, or wherever you get your books. And now for more of Janine's first date story. I went about this because I knew that it would require consistent, methodical effort. It's a numbers game, finding the right person that matches all of the parameters that you seek. And so it was a way of just like um, any large project that we undertake in our professional lives or big tasks that we do personally, there were many steps to it. And so using this tool of tracking, you know, who am I going out with? You know, what are the salient, what are the things that matter? You know, the, the people that they name like a child or 
um, are particular about, you know, where they're from, all of those things. You know, it's kind to be able to, if you are going to see someone again, to be able to pick up the conversation where you left off, even if you're seeing several people um, in consecutive dates. And I was very efficient in my process, so I would generally save dating day for, you know, a certain day of the week. And then I would go generally on like three or four first dates, half an hour. I was not going to devote more time to it than that. Uh, You can get a good sense of um, if there's an energetic fit or just even a general orientation to life in similar ways. I would make the choice at 30 minutes. Am I abandoning myself by devoting another 30 minutes? And if I was, I would be very clear. And I would simply say, thank you so much for making time for me today. I've enjoyed our chat. And I need to be moving on now. My perception of it is after having had more than 100 dates that I had a lot of clarity about the kind of person that I would want to see a second time or a third time or a fourth time, and that I had devoted 20 years to understanding myself and how I want to move in the world, and I had a lot of clarity about that, and I still do. The date that we are going to now get into happen during the pandemic. Where were you in your life prior to the time when this date took place? I had recently come to the conclusion that I would not be dating if any, if at all. And every few weeks, uh, I still had all of my three or four dating apps that I would look at and was I did go on a handful of dates um, during the first few months of COVID, socially distanced, outdoor, hiking very far away on the other side of the path, but had really come to a place of I'm... I want to say comfort, but I'm also recognizing there's elements of resignation and of acceptance and determination to lead a full and rich life, but probably letting this piece of my life go because the qualities that I hope to find in someone mirroring the things that I love and treasure about myself, we're probably just going to be too tall of an order. That means that you had gotten to this place because you had accepted full and fully embraced the love you have for yourself and that you are enough. Yes. Yes. It's such a great revelation and such an important place to arrive. And, you know, sadly for many of us, uh, it happens later in life. I, uh, one of the unusual aspects of my life is that I'm a twin. So I like to say, not only am I an, am I an extrovert, but that I've been partnered since the first cell of my existence. And so I had 
believed that partnership was necessary and a normal function of the life that I wanted to live. And I had reached the point recognizing that I didn't want to abandon myself in relationship anymore and that I was willing to let that go. But you didn't. I didn't. I hung in there a little bit longer. <laughs> okay, let's proceed then with the story. So COVID yeah. is so it's early months. COVID of, is raging. Yes, COVID it's is hot raging. COVID summer, right? We're yes, all really, um, just very isolated at this point. And I'm in a region of the country that took it very seriously. So we were very um, consistently um, isolated. So every few weeks, I would open up my apps and just take a look. And on this particular day, I opened up one of the apps and there was an image of someone where I, I literally like gasped from like, wow, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then I read the profile and I... I was so amazed to just be met in so many different parts of my um, my career, my intellectual life, and my education, and my activities, and my spiritual life. And so he had sent a message. He found me, and he said, well, I don't know if this is going to work, but I'm going to give it a shot. Tell me how you're doing today. And he said that because he was in a different part of the country. And I didn't notice that. I just looked at the image and the profile and I was like, how can I not respond? And so <laughs> I wrote back, the universe must know something that we don't because I'm responding. I'm great. How are you? <laughs> that was quite a response. And this is Kevin who you were responding to, correct? Yes, yes. What did he do? Did he immediately write back? Absolutely. Um, we started texting in the app um, morning and night until we arranged within, well, the next day he said, let's talk. And at that's. At that point, I said, hey, let's go for a hike. And he said, well, I don't know if I'm going to make that. I'm a little bit far away. And then I finally realized he was um, an airplane ride away. And so, uh, you know, at this point, I thought, well, okay, maybe I'm going to find my partner in another part of the country. We'll cross that bridge when we get there. So I said, let's go for a hike and I'll meet you at the top of the mountain near my house and you can pick where you're going to be. So, clever. That's really yeah. clever. Wow. Oh, it was so much fun. Yeah. It was so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a, a sunrise chat. So I got, got to the top of the mountain and the sun was rising and it was a beautiful hike and he was uh, on the beach. And so we ended up talking for two and a half hours that first morning. And it was just an incredible beginning. You sat there on the mountaintop and he sat there on the beach with your phones and decent cell coverage and yes. you just... <laughs> 
talk? Did you actually see one another or was it a phone conversation? Well, I am so annoyed about this part because, of course, you know, I am originally from the South. So I, you know, put myself together um, and I thought we were doing a Zoom call. And then, you know, ego doesn't exist just for the the female part of, of the world. It, when I said, OK, let's Zoom. And he's like, wait a minute, I didn't know. Um, I can't do video. I'm not ready. <laughs> oh, must have been such a disappointment for you. <laughs> I, I still can remember it. I was really um, disappointed. But, you know, you let these things go, right? And focus on what matters. What happened next? We spent the next week talking on the phone, doing Zoom calls. And I was, um, at the end of that first week, I told him, hey, it's COVID. Um, I've decided to rent a camper van and to climb in the van with my college-aged daughter. And we're going to be gone for the next three weeks. And we're going to travel all over the Pacific Northwest and all the way to the upper Midwest. So I'm going to be gone and out of cell reception for three weeks. And I will catch you when I get home. And he said, that sounds awesome. And then I was gone the first two days on the road, having an incredible adventure with my daughter. But I realized, oh, I really want to talk to him. And so I called that first night. We were in the middle of the forest outside uh, a highway in the middle of the woods in Oregon, trying to find cell reception. And I was so happy to talk to him. And eventually what happened is we were talking almost every day. And it was this an unending series of me trying to find cell reception in Safeway parking lots in some weird town in the middle of nowhere. And yeah, it was just <laughs> wonderful. So what were you missing? What were you missing? Yeah, the intimacy, the connection, the ways that uh, he saw things similarly and radically differently, and the stories that he shared. But most of all, um, he's just remarkably socially, emotionally intelligent, and his level of vulnerability and honesty and realness just felt like we were creating a real connection and that I could very early on reveal myself, the things that mattered to me, my hurts, my pains, my joys, my delights, all from a place of just real intimacy. And it happened pretty much from the second phone call. Really? Yes. Wow. Yeah. Because I mean, he was so vulnerable with you and and so emotionally intelligent has, that you yeah. decided you could trust this man. Absolutely. Right away. Yes. And, you know, by this time I had been on more than 100 dates and and he had done the same amount of work in his life so that by the time we found one another, there was nothing but 
the ability to be our real selves without defenses, without hiding, without fear, just curiosity and delight at the ever unfolding layers. He had been married before. Yes, he also had, had, yes, he also had a quarter century marriage and we each have a daughter in college. So very similar in that way. Remarkably, strangely similar. A lot of similarities, as you say, a lot of alignment. Yes, yes. And so there were the practical similarities of similar socioeconomic levels, similar education levels, similar career attainment levels, similar approaches to both achieving and engaging in the world and also deep inner work. And that combination is very uncommon. And we were very excited to see that in someone else. And that was very motivating. Your daughter had a front row seat, literally, (laughs) (laughs) right? In the camper van uh, as this was all unfolding. What was she saying to you and what were her observations about Kevin and about you as this romance was beginning from afar? What a perceptive question. I so appreciate that. And it really is um, the difference between her experience and her um, engagement with me and Kevin's daughter's experience and her engagement with him um, are really uh, interesting contrasts and very much who they each are individually. I would just try to go and have my experience on the phone alone. And every so often she would make some wry comment like, gee, mom, you are really needing to get out and make a lot of phone calls. And I'm like, yes, I am. (laughs) And at the same time, I was getting um, videos of um, him dancing with his daughter in the kitchen, having dance party, and then um, she's like waving to me and then sending it to me. So they, it's beautiful because there's space for each of them to be who they are in their relationship with their parent. And he and his daughter are very close and able to share all of these things. And my daughter and I are very close, but there's an element of privacy around our dating lives that we don't share that much. And so we talk about that a lot as well of, I want this, she'll say, I want this part of my life to be private and I want her to be who she wants to be. So it was really sweet, but uh, I got tired of trying to find privacy in Safeway parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> you eventually took the calls in in the camper van. <laughs> eventually, eventually. eventually. Yeah. Oh, but well. here's the funny part of this story: is that my daughter and I were gone for three weeks, and on the second week that we were gone. Kevin said, um, as I was telling him the adventures that we were having and all of the amazing experiences that we were having, he said, oh my gosh, this sounds like so much fun. I totally want to do this with you one day. And I said, okay, let's do it now. And he said, 
okay. And so before we got off the phone, we made plans that he would rent a camper van for a month. And that uh, week after I returned home from my adventure with my daughter, he would drive up, we would get in the camper van, and we would go away for a month. And I called it the fish or cut bait tour. And we both agreed. We know each other ourselves really well. We feel like there is remarkable potential in this relationship and a lot of really unusual synchronicities in the paths of our lives. And a a coming together with a person like this deserves devotion and attention and focus. And so we knew we could get along for a month if it didn't work out romantically, but we wanted to step into making a commitment to see, is there something really here? And we're going to give it the time and the attention that it deserves to really figure it out. So to me, Fisher cut bait really means clarity about who I am, what my intentions are, how I want to move in the world, and who I want to be with as I do that. I don't have any frustration or last straw experience around that phrase, but rather, how am I going to get to where I want to be, and how can I do it efficiently, cleanly, and with loving kindness? The answer to that question in this circumstance was, have Kevin rent a camper van and take a road trip together for a month. (laughs) So you did. But before we get to that, I'm curious, time had to transpire between that decision and he actually showing up with the camper van. Yes. What was going through your head during that time and through your body? Were you anxious, excited? Oh, gosh. No, I wasn't anxious. Um, I was excited. But um, a really important practice for me is not to anticipate, but to rather to be in the present moment. So... I had happiness that that was going to happen in the future, but I was just really focused on being in my trip with my daughter and so would reserve the times to be excited or um, talking about it when I was on the phone with Kevin um, calling from the middle of the woods or the Safeway parking lots. So I, I had also a lot of peace And a lot of um, curiosity of, oh, I wonder what's going to happen, but not anxiety. I think that I have such a sense of self. Uh, I knew that if things didn't go well, that I would have the ability to get out of the situation. I I grew up in the South, and we have this idea um, that my mom shared with me, which is always have your mad money. So if you're going on a date, you always want to be able to get out of the date 
on your own without relying on anyone else so that you call the shots. So um, when I was growing up, that meant, you know, having money to get to a payphone and make the phone call to say, mom, come pick me up. Mm-hmm. You <laughs> so needed a dime, a, right? At that yeah, exactly. time, maybe a quarter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> now we don't have a payphone. You can't even exactly. do that. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I had my metaphorical mad money, right? If we ended up at the edge of the Grand Canyon and we just couldn't take it anymore, I knew I could get home and didn't need any help doing that and had the ability to make that choice without rancor, without disappointment, without anything, but just clarity of like, oh, this isn't working. So I didn't have any anxiety. I just had a lot of autonomy. You and your daughter conclude your road trip together. You get home, you probably unpack, clean up a bit. (laughs) The week passes. Take us through. The week does not pass, Jody. It doesn't pass. Okay. <laughs> no. A plot twist. I get home on Wednesday and uh, we talk the night that I get home. The plan was that he was going to take us away for a romantic weekend. And after three days, we would come back and then we would get in the car to go pick up the camper van. But I did not want to wait for that time. I said, I want you to drive up here now. So the next morning, he got in the car and he made the 10-hour drive. What happened when he arrived at your house? Well, as he tells it, he was driving into the driveway and he had been pondering for a couple of hours what would happen When he got there, would we hug? Would we kiss? Would we be awkward or weird? And that was what was playing out in his mind as he was driving down the freeway. I didn't have any of that experience. I was having my full work day. I uh, was working um, and could see the end of the driveway down the road. And when he pulled in, I just hopped up and got all excited and went running out the door in my bare feet and running down the driveway. And he pulled over the car halfway up the driveway and put it in park and jumped out. And we just started hugging and kissing. (laughs) (laughs) Straight out of a movie. Straight out of a movie. I can see it right now. Wow. What a moment you two shared. Yes. Yeah. It was really, yeah, from the first moment of our being together physically and um, and energetically, um, which is, I believe, that the truest expression of our human existence, like how it feels to stand next to someone, the comfort, the excitement, the curiosity, the delight, the appreciation, the miraculous disbelief. It was all just in that moment. It was remarkable. What happened next? Well, it was actually a time 
we live in a part of the country, which is basically half of the country these days, where there were extensive fires. And so our plans for the romantic getaway moved from one location uh, a couple of hours away to us just being in my home. And we spent the next three days just getting to know one another, talking all night long, just sharing everything. And I think maybe the most moving part of this experience for me was the um, towards the end of the first evening, I have had the experience throughout my life of periodically hearing a very strong voice in my head. And it almost always was a message for someone else. Um, a pregnancy that was coming, a, a move to another country, a message about what they were thinking. And they rarely came for me. It was almost always around physical injury or an illness. Very remarkable experiences like telling someone they're pregnant and they find out the next day that they're pregnant. And this voice that evening spoke to me repeatedly and maybe your listeners can perceive I'm, I live in my heart, but I also really live in my mind. And so being logical, being thoughtful, being critical in my analysis, being rational are ways of living that are important to me. And this voice kept coming and it just wasn't very rational. And so I just chalked the voice up to my yearning or my hope or my excitement and my amazement at this remarkable human. And as I'm telling the story, I'm becoming emotional because I'm just remembering the enormity of this experience because when the voice spoke the fourth time, I felt like I couldn't ignore the voice anymore. And I said to him, I've heard this message four times now, and I can't ignore it anymore. Will you marry me? Wow. Yeah. But that's not the amazing part of the story. The amazing part is that he stood there and this look of mystery and amazement came over his face. And he said, you don't know, but the first decade of my life I spent teaching tens of thousands of people how to listen to the voice of intuition in their minds and to live responding to that voice. 
and I've written multiple books about this. And because you've asked in this way, I say yes. He said yes. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. Well, that was a moment in time. What was truly incredible is the way that level of connection and clarity of intention and commitment to truly believing this is meant to be, how it transformed that next month of exploration and fish or cut bait into, no, we're together. This is how we do this together. And so since that time, our relationship has just been remarkably easy, fruitful, delightful, amazing, collaborative, and just a real miracle. What an extraordinary story. Yeah. The best part of it is that in a week, it will be a year since we met. And since that time, that day, 356 days ago, we've only been apart five days. And we have woven our own lives together, our families' lives together, our extended communities' lives together, and now we are beginning to work together. And so we actually were really embarrassed and shy and hesitant to share the story of our meeting and our first month together for many months because we know it's so over the top. You know, it seems like the actions of people who don't know themselves well who respond to that falling in love moment and completely lose themselves in it. And it was just the opposite. You know, the psychologists speak of this time at the beginning of relationships, this intense bonding and the exclusion of other things. It's called limerence. And it's studied in relationships, understood as this really serious bonding time, but also not a lot of logic or rationality to it. And the experience that we shared feels both deeply rational and profoundly miraculous. Have the two of you gotten married? No, we have not done that, but we have asked one another to marry mm, more than 500 times. And every time one of us asks, we pause and we reflect and then we make the choice. And every time we have said yes. You are consistently then reaffirming your commitment to one another by yes. asking and answering that question repeatedly. 
Yes, we consider ourselves life partners. We joke that we're on the 40-year plan. (laughs) (laughs) We've made a solid and firm commitment that we will be together for 40 years, and um, we are planning to marry, but we, we want the pieces of our lives that remain unsettled, some business issues um, to fall into place so that there's clarity. Maybe it was irrational in the beginning and rational in, in the subsequent months. But yeah, we're committed and we're partners. We're life partners. How long would you say that your first date with Kevin lasted? I find myself moved to tears by that. You know, we bring, especially in this culture, like this set of stories and projections and hopes and dreams for the first date. All of what we hope for our romantic lives are just crushed on this one concept of the first date. It's a heavy load. And yet when I touch into like the sense of possibility and the hope and the dreams and the belief of what can be, I mean, in many ways that quality is still very present in our hour-to-hour existence together. We many days hug many times and frequently say things like, you are my miracle, or thank you for finding me, or thank you for not giving up, or thank you for believing, because that's what brought us together. That's beautiful. And you were brought together during an extraordinarily challenging time for everyone in this country and around the world. A dark time. Yes. But such light came into your life. You know, this is the reality of the human existence, that life can be beautiful and tragic and hopeful and crushing and amazing and painful all at the same time. I feel so grateful to have had the experience of deep connection, intimacy, partnership, wise, beautiful friendship, delight, and knowing at the same time that it is a period of deep struggle for many, of isolation for many, of hopelessness for many, and of loss. And so being able to hold the light in my life and be present for the darkness is the path of being human. You stated that so fabulously, and what you just said is true, in my opinion. Yes, and this is the gift of being present to our 
feelings and our emotions and allowing them to express themselves. Any emotion that we experience will not last, whether it's intense joy, a sense of connection, a sense of despair, a sense of sadness. If we allow that emotion, it will eventually transform into another experience. Our lives as humans move from moment to moment. And so being able to witness and hold the complexity of all of these emotions and experience at the same time is simply a path that allows us to be most human. Early in our conversation, you stated that you had come to the point where you'd embraced a future as an independent woman. Not long thereafter, you met a man that is now your life partner. Continuing as that independent woman would have given you a very meaningful existence, no doubt. But Kevin came in to your world, and the two of you are are now a strong partnership and loving partnership from everything that you have shared. What practical advice do you have for the women listening to us who can relate to where you were with your journey before you met Kevin? It's hubris to believe that I have advice for a particular person. Yet, having said that, what I learned about myself may resonate for others, which is this. I am amazing. I am precious. I deserve to live the life that I wish for. And that compromising what I want, need, and can have is only abandoning myself. And if I choose to abandon myself, how can I expect anyone else not to? Very sage advice. Thank you. Thank you, Janine, for coming on the show to share your really remarkable tale of coming together with Kevin as you did, getting engaged (laughs) (laughs) a few hours after the two of you met in person for the first time and then proceeding on together for almost a year to form the strong bonds and the loving partnership that the two of you are creating together. Yes, thank you for the opportunity for me to share this. I I know the work that you do is helping so many. And in times of loneliness or wistfulness, having a friend to help guide us really helps us turn towards the light. So thank you for your work. I'm really touched by that. (laughs) 
Thank you. Thank you so much. That's a wrap on season four. I want to thank Janine and all my guests this season and from the previous three seasons for coming on this podcast to share their stories and their guidance. These women have done this because they care about supporting women who they feel a connection to. Our listeners, that's you. So I also want to thank you so very much for listening to this podcast. We have created this podcast for you. And we've done 56 episodes of it. If you've missed any of them, they're all available for you to listen to from wherever you're listening to me now and at firstdatestories.com. When you go to the website, you'll also find blog posts that celebrate singledom, talk about self-care, explore what might be keeping you from finding the right partner, and dish out dating tips. We also have a terrific modern-day dating dictionary packed with terms that are bantied about in today's dating scene. I invite you to check it all out. And now for a quick run-through of the legalese. This podcast is for general information and entertainment purposes only and is not intended as professional advice for our listeners. We suggest that you always consult with your own personal coaches and advisors. First Date Stories does not recommend or endorse or object to the views or topics expressed on this podcast. Also, the names of the guests are changed for privacy purposes. The producer of this podcast is Sarah Singer Schiff. Thank you, Sarah. And the show is brought to you by Spar Ventures. First Date Stories is here to help you be your best self, cheer you on, and encourage you to keep showing up and believe. Because beyond your next first date, maybe the lifelong love you're seeking.